It's great to have Pastor Dave Campbell with us today, and we've enjoyed um, our time with him this morning, and catching up with Dave has been a real pleasure. It's been, been just so good. We thank God for his uh, heart, his down-to-earth nature. I loved it this morning when David said, <clears throat> I mentioned to him a bit earlier, he said, one throwaway line, you may have missed it in the many of the throwaway lines that he shared this morning. He talked about being, how we're 75% water, and he said, look at me, I'm gallons. Yeah. And, I meant to say litres. Yeah, he meant to say litres. He's, he's living back in. But uh, I, th- I love the way that David is down to earth, not afraid to, uh, to, to laugh and to, to laugh at himself as well. So um, let's give him a round of applause. It's good to have him with us. We're delighted. It's a pleasure. Thanks, David. Thanks, Mary. You're about half a gallon. <laughs> you put some weight on you. That's great. Nice to be here again, isn't it? Actually, at my age, I'm just happy to be, happy to be anywhere, really. It's just uh, you get that stage, don't you? I think it's great to be here. And I like coming here because I, I do believe there's destiny in this church. I don't think every church is a ghost. I don't, you know, when I was young, I didn't get invited anywhere. Sometimes I get invited twice because they'd invite me back to apologize for what I said the first time. <laughs> so I don't go many places. I do think there's an, an, there's an anointing on this church, and sometimes it's almost to do with, I think last time I saw it being an Antioch church, I mean, a church that's got a vision for more than just itself. Really. And I think God wants us to have, he's looking for people who have a vision for whole cities. And, to, and that's, that takes quite a big thought and thinking about, really, because it's almost like we're born, and some people cannot even take responsibility for themselves. You know, so I've heard people say, God, we're going to take the nations for Jesus. And I think... You can't even tidy your bedroom, you know. <laughs> so it's just take responsibility for yourself first. And then you've got responsibility for your family. And then responsibility for your church. And some people have vision for, for the city where they live. Other people get whole, whole nations in their heart. And I, I think you grow into that. I think there's a, there's a, there's a growing up business. It's almost as you mature as a Christian, you're able to take responsibility for more things. And the callings on churches are different. And... I think when you're younger, you don't have to worry about things. Like when I, my children are little, and Mandy, my wife, she likes to retidy tidy house, which is rough when you've got children, because children don't really understand the word tidy, do they? I remember when our, when our children left home, I mean, that was, it wasn't when their children were adults, we'd let them stay when they were children. <coughs> and we, did, we did wait. But so, I can remember when they'd gone to university and, and left. We knew, we knew they'd gone because... We'd go, we'd, we'd go out of the house and leave it tidy, and we'd come back and it'd still be tidy. So we knew they'd gone. We'd gone for, but when they were children, it's like they could devastate the house next to no time. And we used to just say to them, actually, we just want you to keep your room tidy. You know, they had a room each, which to me was luxury. I never had a room to myself. I had to share a room with my twin brother. In fact, to be honest, I still share a room <laughs> with my wife. So, so I've never had a room to myself. So I had a room to myself. I said, now, all we want is for you to keep your room tidy, okay? That's all you need to do, just that little bit of a room. We don't, you don't, we don't want you to, I don't want you to worry about the phone bill, although we will talk about it. <laughs> I don't want you to worry about the gas bill, the electric bill. I don't want you to have to worry about the, uh, uh, the council tax. I don't have to worry about uh, all the food bills and how we're going to pay for it. You don't have to worry, I just want you to keep your room tidy. That's all you want. But then as they grow older, actually, they have to learn to worry about their own phone bill, gas bill, electric bill, and all those things. It's a sign of maturity when you can actually have uh, more than one thing under control at a time. And as a church, as you begin to mature, you're able to have a vision for more than one thing at a time. You have a vision for your, for your own family. And most people come to church because so they just want their family to be blessed. And that's a great thing. But you start thinking, I'd like other families to be blessed. And then, actually, there comes a time when you say, do you know... Wouldn't it be great if Long Eaton became one of the most Christian towns in Great Britain? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great? Yeah. You're allowed to agree. It's all right. If you disagree, you're not allowed to say anything. But, <laughs> but it's good, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there must be... What, I don't know what's the most Christian town in Great Britain, but why shouldn't it be Long Eaton? Yeah. Why shouldn't we begin to have faith and to believe that God would do it here? Yeah. So I want to talk to you and give you some thoughts about how to take a whole city, what it takes... I don't think it's as hard as we think it's going to be. And um, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 18 at the moment. And, and, and here's one of these throwaway thoughts, if you like. But Gen- 
God told Abraham he was to become the father of a nation. Remember that? He was quite old at the time. And, um, but how many children did God want Abraham to have? Millions? One. He actually had two. And that was one too many. Because he had Ishmael. And we're going to read Genesis 18, which brings us in just after Ishmael is born. Because God promised Abraham he'd have a son and then he'd have a, have a nation. And he thought this isn't working. So they, they tried to do God's will his way and ended up with an Ishmael. Whenever you try and manipulate the will of God, you will not end up with Isaac. You'll end up with Ishmael. And you don't have to go far on the TV news to find out the consequences of Abraham having Ishmael. But still living with it. That's where it all comes from. Just one man who actually wanted to change things a little bit. Instead of waiting to have our eyes out, they had Ishmael. And just after, this is just when chapter 18 of Genesis is where, <clears throat> is where Christophany, where Jesus appeared in the Old Testament, spoken to, to Abraham and told him, um, Sarah's going to have a baby. She's a little bit of a laugh about it. And, and then they move on. And they're on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah. And let me just... What should, what, verse 16 of Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 16. And there's three men come, and the, then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all for the lack of five? So he said, if I find 45, because God can do maths, 50 minus five, so I can, if I find 45 there, I will not destroy it. And he, and he spoke to him again and said, suppose, suppose there should be 40 found there. Then he said, well, I will not do it if I, for, the sake, for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry. I think I would be getting just a little bit fed up with him right now at this point. He said, no, let the Lord be angry. And I speak, suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, no, indeed, Lord, indeed now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And I think, he's cruising for a bruising in my sort of thing. I think, I think this is worse than trying to buy a car from somebody. And he said, so, so I'll, I'll not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 be found there. He's gone 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I'll not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he'd finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Amen.
Abraham was a very interesting place. Like we said, God spoke to him and said he's going to build a nation from him. But he only wanted him to have one child. I believe the nation's taken one at a time. I think if we all have faith for the nation, we don't have to win 10,000 people. If we all win one, we're on our way. That's what Abraham was about. But here, at this point, there's the first lesson in taking the city is, is we need the intercessors to learn how to push in and take the city. And this is the first time of intercession in the Bible. This is the first time you actually got a picture of somebody praying and asking God for something and pushing in. And, and, and it's um, Abraham. So we're learning a lesson here. And so it's, not, it's probably not his finest hour. He's probably not doing his best. But he, he tries his best, doesn't he? And he's saying, Lord, if it's, if, it's, if it's 50, if it's 45, if it's 40, if it's 30, 30, 20, 10, whatever, he just tries his best to get that many people. But it's an interesting thing. He says at one point, I am I who am but a humble man. He's talking to God. He's thinking at any point God could just say, I've had enough of you. And so he's a humble man. But he's just a normal human being. And I don't know, I don't put your hand up in case it's been video, but do you ever think you're not very good at praying? Do you ever get into that time? Do you ever have times you think when somebody says, Will you pray about it? You think, I'm not praying about it, because I'm on a bad roll at the moment. It's like if the Sunday school's going for a picnic somewhere and, and they ask you to pray that it's good weather, you'll pray and it'll snow in June. It's just that way. Do you ever get the time? Do you, am I talking to the right people? But it just feels it's not only is God not answering your prayer, he's just going against everything you say. I'm talking to the right people. I have times that I'm, not, I'm going to pray that God will say no because I want him to say yes. Do you ever get that sometimes? I get that way sometimes. I don't, it might not be a very good confession. But I'm trying to learn how to pray. In fact, I find it very interesting that when the disciples came to Jesus at the start of his ministry, he said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we know that we call the Lord's Prayer. Three years later, when they saw how great a prayer he was, he said, oh, Jesus, teach us to pray like you. He said, okay, our Father, who art in heaven. I am so encouraged that after three years, the disciples were still on lesson one. And sometimes I think when I'm in prayer, there's times when I think I'm really good at it. But most of the time, I think I'm still on lesson one. And Abraham is still on lesson one. And he is lesson one. He's shown us something. But he's just, <coughs> he's just a man of faith. But he's a man. In fact, you find out that two chapters later, he does this twice. He, 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 he's introducing his wife as his sister. What happens was, he goes and he, he meets this king. And Sarah, apparently, is quite a good-looking woman. So Abraham hit above his weight, basically, but I could see. And he gets this good-looking wife. And when he's standing looking at the king, you can see the king's looking at his wife going, he's thinking, excuse me, that's my wife. But he actually thinks, in the culture of the day, um, kings, kings didn't sleep with other people's wives, not before they killed the husband. So they would sleep with, they didn't mind killing people, but sleeping with a, a woman who's already married, they wouldn't do that. So he'd have him killed, and then he'd look after the, the widow by taking him into his harem. That's the way it was working. So when, when the king's sort of looking at um, Sarah and, and, and says, So who's, oh, this is my sister. Can you, I just think, I don't, I don't know if there's videos in heaven of what there is, but I really want to get this one out. Not, not the thing itself. I want to get the video up when they get home. Sister, sister, I'm your sister. Is that right? That's your bed in there. That's the dog in the corner. You want me in our bedroom tonight? You don't want to sleep with your sister, would you? The next, maybe that's why they didn't have children. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, maybe, that's, maybe that's what it was. She won't be in my room for the next 20 years. Thank you very much. I don't know what it was, but, they didn't, but he didn't do it once. He did it twice. He actually did it twice. He gets to meet kings twice. And twice the, the king starts looking at his wife, and trying to say, oh, she's my sister. Uh, some, and I don't know, I don't want to read too much into it, but I think he had a little, he had a little fault, he had a little weakness in his system, that sometimes when he was under pressure, he told lies. At least twice, we know he did. I don't know what your little weakness is. I don't know, are you always truthful? I must confess, a while ago, I was driving down the road, uh, on the motorway, and I, a lovely policeman stopped me and just said to me, do you know what speed you were doing? And I said, honestly, no, I don't. And she says, what would you, 
what would you say if I said to you you were doing 85? And, and I thought, I said, I, I don't know. Because what I was going to say was, oh, I sure was doing more than that. But I thought, that's, <laughs> that, that's not what I'm going to say. Uh, honesty goes so far. And so I, I, I've already repented of this. So I'm not doing it again. I think it was wrong. But nevertheless, they think so you're not always honest, honest, honest. So we all have a tendency. The first thing when the... When I see a police car and I'm driving, I slow down, even if I'm not speeding. <laughs> do you mean? You do that, don't you? you slow, even if you're not speeding, we have a guilty conscience. So we all have buttons. But I want to say to you, whatever your weakness is, as long as you're working at it, God will still use you. He can still use you. Abraham had a huge fault. And some of which I think, if I introduced my wife once as my sister, we would have a problem. If I did it twice, we'd have a funeral. That's what we'd have. I just cannot imagine Mando let me do that twice. I noticed he didn't get to do it three times. But I think, what was that? Because he's a weakness. He, he's a man. He's a great man of faith. But he's learning how to do it. And I noticed too that, that he stopped asking before God stopped granting. And he, and he goes, God, if it's 50, because he's got, a, he's got a nephew that lives down there. And he says, well, he's a good man. His wife and his kids. And he must have taught some of his servants, hundreds of them, when you read about it, hundreds of servants, plus two or three hundred people in his household, maybe a quarter of them are, anyway, so God agrees to 50, and he thinks, well, maybe he's not been that good, maybe 45, or maybe 40, and he gets down to 30, 20, and thinks, oh, there's bound to be 10, and I think Abraham stopped at 10, because he thought, that's safe enough. I wonder what would have happened if Abraham said, God, please, just for me. Never mind how many there are. Just show mercy, because you love me. I wonder what would have happened. Because I think when God gets down to ten, he's nearly down to nothing, isn't he? He might have said, okay. I don't know. And one of our problems in prayer is we stop asking before he stops granting. And one of the basic lessons is you've got to keep pushing in. You've got to keep pushing in. How long am I going to pray for revival? How long? Well, a bit longer. That's what it means. I don't know how long you've been praying for revival in Long Eaton. I have been praying for revival longer than I like to admit I've been alive. I was talking to my mum on the phone the other night there. My mum's 88 now. And, and she was reminding me of when I was a little boy growing up in Scotland. Because I'm, I'm not English, by the way. Um, I'm Scottish. This, this is an accent. It's not a speech impediment. This is, this is, this is the way everyone... Where I come from speaks, although this is the refined version of it. And when I was a little boy growing up in Scotland, um, um, my twin brother and I, every Sunday night, people used to come to church, uh, to our house after church. I guess that's happened a lot of places. There's somebody's house you went to, and our house was the house, because my mum was just great at baking apple pie. And I'm, I'm there, Jesus, I'm there. And apple pie and scones and cakes and biscuits. We didn't have those things during the week. They were only kept for Sundays. And so on Sundays we used to sort of hurry home and, and we would help. And Because, um, see, in Scotland, if somebody invites you around for a cup of tea, you can get a cup of tea and then out comes a trolley full of food. When I came to England, somebody said, you want a cup of tea? I said, yes, please. And they gave me a cup of tea. <laughs> it's a bit wet. It's a bit wet on itself, but then take the hint. Because in Scotland, that's why we're all sort of athletic. <laughs> well, we watch a lot of football. And so we, we'd be handing out the cakes and stuff like that, and handing out everything. But there'd come a point when we'd get sent up to our beds, because we were just little boys. It was time to go to bed. And we'd be upstairs, and someone would always get the piano, and they'd start singing, and then they would just pray. And we'd hear them praying, and really praying, really, really going for it. And we used to sneak down the stairs because well, it was a two-bedroom semi. And so we were sort of sneaking downstairs to hear what's happening. And hear people singing and praying. And always, it was always my mother that caught you. My father never came out. It was my mother that said, you two, bed, bed. Because you, there's something really attractive about a room full of visitors and cakes. <laughs> you just feel like you should be there. And, 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 and I remember just one time I said, but mommy, we want to pray. And it sort of stopped my mum in the tracks. It was school holidays. And we said, I want to pray. Mum said, okay, you can. You can come. You can, sit the, you can sit in the room, but you sit that side and your brother sits that side. Because my brother, he was quite naughty, really. 
And she just split herself. So we sat once and I did. I tell him, it's your turn, you've got to pray. And she was just telling me, and I said, I remember you were about eight years old. And you were weeping, and God said, God, please send revival to Scotland. Please. I didn't pray for England, I'm very sorry. I didn't, I didn't really know England existed. I could only pray for Scotland because my geography was really bad. And I prayed, God, send revival. Please, please, please. And I could remember it. I could actually, as she talked about it, I started feeling it again. I think I'm 58 now, and I'm still praying, oh, God, send revival. I do pray for England now. She so send revival to this land. It's never gone away from me. I've never lost the spirit of intercession to pray for revival for this nation. It's never gone away from me. And I tell you, I will, I will pray for it to my dying day. But I actually won't expect to see it before I die. Because what would God put that in your heart for, for all these years, if nothing was going to happen? And I think I've seen something. I think the whole trunk work porn was wonderful. It wasn't the revival. It wasn't what I was praying for. It was just to make the church worth joining, really. I think God looked at church and thought, we're going to have to improve things if we're going to send revival. We can't send people here. And so he did something and just moved us up and brought, brought our expectations up. But he's put that heart desire for revival inside of us. And we can't give up before he stops saying yes. We have to begin to move out. We have to be like Abraham. See, Abraham, he wasn't an expert. And you might think, I'm not very good at praying or I'll, I've got this problem in my life. So did Abraham have. Don't wait until you're an expert. Don't wait until your life's perfect before you start praying. Don't wait until you've got a, a history of great Christianity or you understand the doctrine. Just start doing it. Abraham didn't understand most of it, but he just began to pray. And we need to raise up armies of intercessors. Now, I'm not going to go on for this too long, but you have to be careful, because sometimes when you mention the word intercessors, I forgive you, I'm sure there's some intercessors here, but sometimes the rest of us think intercessors are one of my goodest. We don't want to be like one of them. I can remember praying to God, please don't make me an intercessor. I'll tell you why. Two reasons. One was they always said God woke them up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I thought, who wants to woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning? I mean, God would wake me up with a burden for something at 3 o'clock. I said, can't you wait? I mean, I, I pray better at 10 o'clock than I do at 3 o'clock. There's no doubt about it. I am not an early morning person. You know, when the Bible says early in the morning should I praise you, I think that means 10, 10.30. I don't think it means... What's the, I think praying before 5 o'clock in the morning is rude. I think you should wait until God gets up in the morning. So I'm not sure about it. So I'm not really a morning person. So that put me off. And forgive me too, the second thing was that most of the people I knew who thought they were intercessors were quite weird. And they always spoke in whispers, which seemed to be that laryngitis was part of being an intercessor. They always come and say, sorry, I don't understand. And I felt the same to them, you know, can I just say to you that, that speaking quietly doesn't make you more spiritual, it just makes you harder to hear. It doesn't do anything else to you. Just tell me what you're thinking about. And I don't think that weirdness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I have this theory about weird Christians. You may or may not know some. If you do, please don't look at them at this moment. It can be, it can be highly incriminating. If you feel people looking at you, you may need to stop. But anyway, I have this theory about weird Christians. I think they were weird non-Christians. And so or they were weird before they were Christians. And what you're seeing now is the improved version. Do you think what would have happened to them if they'd never get saved? People would be jumping off tall buildings to get away from them. But we have to realize that just an intercessor is just somebody who has a heart to see the kingdom of God come. And you tell them about it. That's all it is. It's just saying, God, please, please, I want to live in a town where the name of Jesus is honored. I want, I'd love to come to a town where, where every church is Overflowing, and they've got multiple services. Not for the sake of it, because Jack Hayford said, said wouldn't it be great to, for your town, but it would be hard to go to hell if you live in Long Eaton. You want, I want to make it hard for people to go to hell if they live in this town. I want to make it, the road to heaven, so accessible and easy. Once they know the love of God, people will come running. Because I think the gospel is very attractive. So we have to sort of realise, don't, don't wait until your faith is perfect. Don't wait until you've got your, 
right credentials, don't wait until you've got no doubts or right theology, just, just go for it. Even if you're disqualified because you've got a, a besetting sin or something you're just weak on, trust him. And don't stop asking until he says no. So that's the first one. I'll tell you another one. I'll just tell you a couple more. I think the powerful intercession. The second one is Jericho. Remember Jericho? When they left, the children of Israel left, and they came into Jericho. That was an interesting time, because Moses is gone. And then it must be very hard to follow somebody like Moses. You know, it's like when Moses has been, it's almost when Moses was there, people complained about him. When he's gone, he's amazing. I know that when I go back to church when I was a pastor, and I, I still live in St. Albans, but when I go back, they tell stories about me. I think, I'm not sure these stories are true. I mean, they just say how wonderful things was when I was there and how great I am. And I, I think, well, it's nice. And I, don't, I don't try and disabuse them or anything like that. And in fact, I remember there's a woman once said to Mandy, it must be wonderful being married to somebody like David. I says, can you believe she said that? I said, yeah, I can actually, Mandy. I can understand that. Because people have a like, like wrong picture of you. Because that's what happens in ministry. People look at folks on the platform and think, wow, they're Superman. And the problem is that Mandy sort of knew that I might be Superman on the platform, but when she got me home, I was Clark Kent. And so, it wasn't so great. It was sort of really, almost like, <laughs> the person who was there before the person now always seems to have done something amazing and great. And I sort of think that to the pastors who followed me. But to follow Moses, the meekest man in all the earth, he wasn't always the meekest man in all the earth. Forty years before he led Israel, he killed a man with his bare hands. That's not what I call a meek man. So when he was 40 years in the wilderness, because something had to change in his heart. And in 40 years, when he embraced the, the dealings of God, and he became the meekest man in all the earth. And then Joshua takes over from him. And he came up to Jericho, his first big, first big challenge really Jericho is a big it's a city it's probably slightly smaller in population than, than Long Eaton but it had, it had it was a walled city you know like, 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 like Chester or York it had a, a wall built all the way around it which made it very strong in those days in fact the walls were so wide that in certain places a chariot could go all the way around it and in certain places it had passing spots so where the chariots could pass each other. So it was big and wide, massive. And we looked up, it would be higher than this, it'd be higher than about the height of the ceilings, massive. So when the children of Israel came, I thought, how are we going to take this place? So Joshua went out and talked to God about it. And God says, this is what you're to do. You remember the story? You're to get the people and they're to walk around it one day, all the way around. And they do it the next day. In fact, they're to walk around it every day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're to walk around it seven times. The only thing is, they're not allowed to speak to each other all the time they're doing it. And then on the seventh day, at the end of the seventh round, they give a big shout and the walls will fall down, fall down and you win. Now, when you've just met the living God, you believe that. But you've got to go and tell everybody else now. I found that whenever I had a vision or something for the church, I found it was one thing I believed it, but when I tried to explain it to everyone, I found out how much I believed it. I've had it hard to explain sometimes. So Joshua comes and says to the people, this is what we're going to do, we're going to walk around it. But you're not allowed to talk to each other. And that's all he tells them. He didn't tell them what's going to happen. Can you imagine what is, how much hassle that is? Because it's not like all the men are going to do it, or all the women are going to do it, or everyone over 30, everyone's going to do it. Man, woman, and child. I mean, some people, just getting your family together to get to church on a Sunday morning, that's a huge ask, isn't it, on time? But to get the whole nation to get to start walking, and they're walking around the walls, and I don't know about you, but if, if I was walking around the walls of the city, Mass would tell you the shortest route is right underneath the walls. The further out you go, the bigger the circumference and the more you walk. How close to the wall would you want to walk to people who don't particularly like you and they might throw something not very nice at you? So I guess they were a good distance out and they walked all the way around. And they're told you're not allowed to talk to each other. Now why would that be? 
Because walking, just imagine walking, going, so what are we doing? I don't know, we're walking around here. Walking up and down, walking, we're going to walk around today. Oh, well, that's nice. That's nice. But you have to bring the wife, the kids, the mother-in-law, everybody, everybody has to come. Everybody has to come, we're just going to walk, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And this is Joshua's idea. Oh, he met God. Oh, he's met God, is he? Where? Somewhere out there. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to walk around. So what are we doing tomorrow? So I don't know, but my, my, my Aunt Cynthia told, Aunt Gladys told Harlan, so she's related, and similarly we're going to do it again tomorrow. I don't think so. I've had these shoes 40 years, and I've had enough of these. My feet are killing me already. Because, see, it's almost like God said, don't let them talk. Because not long before, remember when Moses went up the mountain, they got the Ten Commandments? He left the people alone and they talked. And when they came down, there was a golden calf. Because when people are left alone to talk, they just, they don't do good things. Because after they've done four or five days, they said, so, what are we doing now? I've had enough of this every day. And they said, what are we doing now? I said, no, no, I hear on the seventh day, we're going to do something different. What are we going to do? We're going to walk around seven times. I am not doing that. And then what are we going to do? We're going to shout at it and it'll all fall down. Oh, for goodness sake, let's have an election. Who made him in charge anyway? It all gone belly up. So God said, no. I want you not to talk to each other. I want you to be silent. So people walk around in silence. Who do you talk to when you're not allowed to talk to anybody else? And these people are throwing stones at you, thinking... Thank goodness me. And I think the whole Israel began to pray. Some of them never went to the prayer meeting. Some Christians never, ever go to prayer meetings. Some Christians don't really pray. Unless they're looking for a parking spot in Sainsbury's. They don't really pray. And now they're praying. Six days they're praying. In fact, I don't know how long it took to walk around, but they had six days of prayer. And on the seventh day, see, I wonder what happened in the heart. I went day one going, God, does this man know what he's doing? This is absolutely dreadful. And I'm saying to God, well, we're just going to have to trust you, God. You've got us here so far. I suppose you're not so bad. You know what you're doing. He, I'm not sure he knows what he's doing, but you know what you're doing. Day three, they start saying, God, I just, whatever happens, we know you're in control. Day four and five, they start saying, God, I just, I, I, I just, whatever happens, you're going to win a mighty victory. By day six, they're going, can we do it now, God? And day seven, day seven, they're, they're bursting to say something. It's just, you just want to praise Jesus. You're in a meeting and somebody says, you're not allowed to say hallelujah, praise God. You have to sit there for five hours about hearing about his goodness, his greatness, and thinking about his wonder, but you're not allowed to say anything. When I came to England at first, I'd never been to, I was a Church of England, given away already, but I'd never been to Church of England because they don't have them in Scotland. It's the Church of England, isn't it? And so I went to a Church of England service because they had a special speaker not far from the Bible College. I went down to hear them. And I sat down near the front because I thought that's what you did. I didn't realise there's a great British tradition of sitting at the back. <laughs> and so, so when, we, when we came and the service started, I neither didn't know that you, they, they, they didn't tell you when to stand up or when to sit down, but you're meant to know. All I knew is that the seats were extremely uncomfortable, but I thought, isn't it great they give you little cushions to sit on? Because this, this is very uncomfortable. So I was sitting on two of these little cushions, so they're not quite big enough for me. And I was sitting on two of these little cushions, and then and they would stand up, and they'd be stand, and they stand up, and I stand up, and because they're all behind you, you're slightly behind in everything you do. Just watch what they're doing. Okay, all right, sit down. And it wasn't until they said, "Let's pray," I realised you're not meant to sit in those little cushions, are you? You're meant to kneel on them. But I still sat in mine because it was, it was comfortable. And in fact, I can, I can remember during the during the worship time because they're singing, I don't know, Graham Kendrick song or something, and I, I just. I just, I just raised my hand, and I, I think I got to about there, and I thought, you don't do that in this church, do you? So I just pretended I was rubbing my nose, and, 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 and did my hair, or something like that. And I was, I was, I was fine, I was, I was fine, that's just the way it was. And then the preacher got up, and he was absolutely brilliant. It was great. And I wanted, I don't normally shout out hallelujah and praise God, because, but it's just because I knew I wasn't allowed to, I wanted to do it. Do you know what I mean? I'm a sort of pet, and I don't know if this is wicked. I think it is. It's probably not very good. But if I walk along a park and it says, please don't walk on the grass, 
I, I want to. I sort of want to walk sort of one foot on it and you know, just seeing it. I just wanted, I don't know why I want to do it. I have a wicked streak in me that needs to die and be resurrected into new life. But I just want to do it. So, so I just wanted to shout out hallelujah, but I wasn't allowed to. I just had a sort of respect for the place I was in. Because the spirit of praise was rising up within me. Now, if you remember during the last song, after the man had preached, I, I sneaked out and I went to the toilets and found the gents' toilet, which, which in some Anglican churches, there isn't one, by the way. I once went to preach in one. Made a mistake there. There wasn't one. Short service. <laughs> and I went into this gents' toilet and just, just I, I, I opened the window and out my, up on my tiptoes went, Hallelujah! closed the window and went around and sat down again and I sometimes think there'll be somebody in heaven says I get saved one day because I was walking down the street and I heard his voice shout hallelujah praise God I thought there's a God to give a life to I don't know what was. you never know what happened because I just couldn't I just couldn't contain it anymore I bring all that around to say to you that, that for me Jericho talks about the power of concerted praise there's something that praise isn't just about singing worship songs it is about declaring heavenly truth that changes the world. Because if you think about it, what, what we sing in our songs are actually words of truth. It's pure theology. That's why we have to be careful what we sing. Like, he is Lord, he is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. That's just total theology and declaration of truth. So when, when you sing songs that are truth, what is it you... What, you know the truth. And what happens when you know the truth? It sets you free. Something begins to happen. And when you're free, my goodness, you want to jump up and down, don't you? You, know, you just want to be free and be, be grateful to God. And so all these people had walked around for six days. They're, they're, they're thinking of his presence. Fear is turning into faith. Doubt is turning into belonging. They're just beginning to think, God, God, I worship you. I worship you. Faith is arising in the spirit. And then... It says, after the seventh time, we'll, we'll sound all these trumpets and stuff like that. And everyone with a trumpet and a, anything that makes a noise will make a noise. And you'll all just shout. I mean, what, what do you think they shouted? I often wonder, what do you shout? Hallelujah! Or, you know, yabba dabba do! I think that was in there somewhere, that, 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 the Fred Flintstone anointing. And people just shouted, glory! Just for the next 10, 20, I'm not sure how long it went. I don't think it lasted... 10 seconds, I think people had pent up praise for seven days in their spirit. And when they released the praise, the walls fell down. There's something about realizing that praise that comes from an overflowing heart can sweep away the walls of the enemy and can give us the city. We have to be people who actually don't just sing songs but who enter into concerted praise and begin to believe God's going to do something great. That's why I was saying to Dave, I love coming here because I think the worship's great. But I think it's because you don't sing songs. You worship Jesus. See, there's a difference, isn't there? You can have song leaders, and if you do it, we can sing Roll Out the Barrel and, and sort of songs that make you feel nostalgic for the old days and, you know, the, 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 the blue bud over, the, the, the blue cliffs of Dover, white cliffs of Dover, that's like white cliffs. I'm glad you've come to help me. The white cliffs of Dover. We can sing all those things. It's a nice, fuzzy feeling. That's just a song. We don't sing songs. We, 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 we enter into warfare and worship. When we declare the truth through the songs, the songs are a medium for our spirits to express the truth of who he is and the proclamation of what he's going to do. There's something powerful about concerted praise. But let me mention two more to you, and then we'll, sort of us, we'll finish at some point. Because, remember Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the capital city of Israel, but it didn't used to be. In fact, when David became king, they didn't really have a proper capital because the, 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 the nation had been divided into north and south kingdoms. And David actually said he's going to take Jerusalem and that would make it the new capital of the new country. And so, because it didn't belong to anyone, it could belong to everyone. Did that make sense? No one said it was theirs, it was something new. So they came to take it. Let me, if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 5, um, I just find the Bible print has got so small these days. 
Why have they done that? I'm not sure why. I have also found that the floor is a lot lower than it used to be. I don't know who's lowered all the floors in our house, but when I go down to tie my shoelaces, I think, is there anything else I can do while I'm down here? I'm, just, I'm at that age in life. Second Samuel 5, and verse 6 says, um, the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites. So they were still in charge of Jerusalem. Even though Saul and everyone had been there for hundreds of years, they hadn't conquered all of Israel yet. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem. This is Second Samuel 5, verse 6. Against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, they spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. Thinking, David can't come in here. Nevertheless, I love this verse. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. You can't come in here, but nevertheless, he did it. <laughs> now, David on that day said, Whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, and who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame should not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around him, uh, all around from the Milo and inward. In other words, basically, basically, the way he took Jerusalem was this. He didn't go and charge it from the front. He didn't walk around it seven times and shout at it. Because I many of you realize every situation has a different strategy. And just because it happened one way didn't mean you do it the same way every time. You have to ask God separately. <coughs> and David had discovered there's a water shaft. Has anyone here ever been to Jerusalem? And sort of on the tour. Did you, go the tour? Did you go through the water shaft that takes you into Jerusalem? There's a water shaft. And actually, when I went, it was, it was many stones ago. And um, I fitted in the water shaft in those days. And, and they, what they said was, uh, when you hit a high spot, just see the person behind, mind your head, mind your head. So I'm going, I'm going, mind your head, mind your head. And there's a little old lady behind me, laughed all the way there. And I said, what's funny with you? She said, I didn't have to duck once. <laughs> I was, oh, mind your head, oh, mind your head. She said, oh, she never had to duck her head once. But it goes from outside, where the water comes out, it goes all the way inside. It's how the water gets into, uh, <clears throat> into Jerusalem. But So you can sneak in there, and when you get in... The idea was you go inside and you open the gates and David's men could come running in. But if, if the Jebusites had sussed it, they could send a little boy of about nine years old standing at the top of the water shaft and as you came in, you just fire an arrow at you and kill you. So in other words, if the king got the strategy wrong, you were dead. And this comes down to me, is the power of committed warriors. People who actually know what is right and what is wrong. We actually know I will do whatever the king tells me to do. Because these are the same warriors who have been David one time. I guess, you ever talk about the old days? You think, oh, you remember those days? I find it a bit worrying. They just say as you get older, you can remember, you know, 40 years ago, but you can't remember what you had for your dinner. Is anyone else on that? In fact, I was talking to my mother, and she says, and she can remember all about childhood, and she can't remember what she had for her dinner. I said, gee, Mum, Mum, I'm quite looking forward to that stage in my life because I can't remember much of my, my childhood. And I think it was good, so I'm looking forward to remembering it all again. <laughs> but David would be talking to them. And I guess they were just sitting around the, the fire. It was a time when, 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 when um, David was hiding from Saul and he had to be careful where he went and stuff like that. And he was away miles away from home. And I suppose a bit like saying, hey, can, can, can you remember... Uh, do you remember when a bag of chips was like, 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 like thruppence and you got a big, sort of, you know, pickled onion and a sort of, and it was great in those days. Can you remember those? And can, and can you remember Whopper bars? And can you remember, you know, how we talk about things when we were kids and stuff like that. Can you remember sports lectures? And can you remember all those sort of things? None of you have remembered anything I would remember. <laughs> <something about it. laughs> you know, that sort of, and David said, you know, when I was a boy, our house, where we lived, behind our house, we had a stream and the water out there. Oh, it was lovely. Not like the stuff you get here. Because it's, it's like, you know, where I come from Greenock, the water comes down from the hills. It's pure. And it was so pure, you could put it straight into your car battery. It was just, there's no calcium in it. You could, uh, tea, no scum on it. You never had to descale your kettle. It's beautiful. And David must have had a, a stream like that near his house. And he says, it's so beautiful. It's lovely. Oh, I miss that. 
Anyway, I'm off to bed. And off he went to bed. And I don't know how many of his mighty men looked at each other and said, you reckon? All right, let's go. And so they stayed up all night and they slipped through enemy lines, found where David's house was, where his dad still lived, went there, found the stream, got a, a, a water bottle, probably like a sack, big thing that length, filled it up with water from David's favorite stream, sneaked all the way back, and probably got there just as David was getting out of his bed. David came out in the morning and oh, I wish, oh, that was a good sleep. Hey, boys, you look a bit rough. Do you not sleep? You look like you've been up all night. And they said, we have. We've been up all night. He said, really? So what have you been doing? And, and, and they brought this water bottle to him, this skin full of water. So we've been to your dad's house. We've bought the water from your father's house. And David must have stopped there, stood there and thought, you've been through enemy lines, not once, but twice. In one night to fetch this for me. That's amazing love. And he took it off them. He said, Thank you. And you know what he did next? He opened it. And he didn't he didn't drink it. He poured it on the ground. Now I don't know about you, but if I just risked my life, I'd stayed up all night, risked my life, and brought a whole load of water to somebody, he said, Thank you. Shh. I go. Okay. But David said, No man is worthy of that. I am not worthy of that devotion. But he served a king who was. And these men who later took Jerusalem were men who every whim of the king became their command. He just says a whim. Have a fancy them some water, goes to bed, is there from next day. If we're going to take the city, if we're going to take the town. We have to become a people for whom every whim is his command. Everything that he wants us to do is his command. He doesn't have to talk us into it. We are just ready to go. I'm quite certain that the, king, that the queen came here, age 88, and just sat next to you and said, I just fancy a cup of tea. You'd be straight in there to fetch it for her. She'd probably say, I fancy a glass of iron brew, because she's born in Scotland. But whatever she wanted, I guarantee you, we'd go and fetch it for her. And that's just our queen. But when the king of kings wants something, there's the power of the committed warrior. I wonder how committed we are. I wonder, are we ready to do whatever the whim of the king is? Not because it's important itself, it's because it demonstrates the commitment. The men who would go and fetch the water could be trusted to go up the water shaft and take the capital city that becomes the city of David. And we still know it as Jerusalem. That's the way David knew who they were. And actually God tests us, not on the big things, but on the little things. He actually says, if you are faithful in the little things, I will trust you with the big things. Here's the last one. I'll, I'll just mention to you from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And um, Ezekiel, Micah 5. God speaks. Michael, Nahum, Habakkuk, Moss. Do, do you ever notice sometimes people move things about in the Bible and they're not where you thought they were? And I, I never used to be able to find Hebrews until I stuck a piece of paper in. Jonah, Micah. I'm getting there. Jonah, Micah. Chapter 5, verse 2. It says this. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. God speaks just one sentence in Micah that says, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Just one little sentence. Now, do you remember who the mother of Jesus was? Mary. She was betrothed to be married to Joseph. Where did they live? Bethlehem. No. They lived in Nazareth. I sometimes wonder if when Gabriel, Gabriel comes back from saying to Mary, you're going to have a baby and he's the son of God. I wonder if God says, no, no, she, she, lives, she, lives in, she lives in Nazareth. 
Couldn't you have found somebody in Bethlehem? Couldn't you have, this, is, this is going to be awkward now. This is going to be very difficult. Because we have said in Micah that he'd be born in, in, in Bethlehem. How on earth are we going to get a family to move? From People don't move around these days. They have hardly ever moved five, ten miles away from where they're born. How on earth are we going to get somebody to go from Nazareth all the way? Anyway, it's only, it's only mentioned once. People might not remember it. Except God said, he gave a prophetic word that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Mary lives in Nazareth. So this is what happens. Hundreds of miles to the west, a pagan emperor says, everyone has to go to the city their family originates from to register all across the known world. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how disruptive that would be today? If we said, you have to go to the place where your granny was born and register. I can be off the grid, but people would be all over the world. And this, these days, people will be, the whole of the civilized world was inconvenienced. People were traveling hundreds and thousands of miles. Now, you notice that Mary is the mother of Jesus. Joseph has nothing to do with Jesus except he is his stepfather. He marries his mother. Moses, uh, Moses. Jesus is not related to Joseph at all. Joseph looks after the family. However, because Mary is engaged to be married to Joseph, then she has to go to wherever Joseph's family comes from. Guess where Joseph's family comes from? Bethlehem. That's a happy coincidence, isn't it? That's why the Bible gives you both of their genealogies. Because Mary, because he's in the lineage of David. Joseph, because that meant he had to go back to David's uh, city in order to be registered to, 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 to Bethlehem. The whole of the civilized world has to move around so one line in the Bible can be made true. There is a power of the prophetic word spoken over you as an individual, over your family, and over this church, that God will turn the world upside down to make sure it comes true. If he has spoken something, it's going to happen. And I want to tell you, sometimes we think to ourselves, you know, I've had prophecies over me and they never come true. You have to ask yourself, just make sure, are we sure they were from God? Because sometimes people prophesy things that they want, they'd like to happen. Do you know, am I talking to the right people here? I think sometimes we've been poor at helping prophets to keep sharp. I know you all know Kevin. Kevin's my best friend. And one of the things that he and Margaret suffered from, really, were prophets. and Because um, they've never had children. And they'd love to have children. And I have to say, all the people I know in the world, Kevin would have been an absolutely great dad. And Margaret would have been great mums. But they never had children. And a number of people would prophesy to him, this time next year, you'll have a baby. And it never happened. In fact, they got the point when, when Kevin used to be dedicating babies in church that Margaret didn't want to go. She used to play the piano and she said, I can't stand being in church another Sunday, seeing my husband hold another, somebody else's baby. I just can't stand it. We haven't got children. I mean, Kevin, he is a different... He says, don't feel sorry for us. We had an awful lot of fun trying. But that's Kevin. That's Kevin for it. That's just the way it was. But people would prophesy to him, this time next year, I can see you holding a baby. This time next year. And it never happened. Was it because they were false prophets? No. But they did prophesy falsely. There's a difference between a false prophet and people who prophesy falsely. False prophets are really bad. People who make a mistake but prophesying are still learning. And sometimes they tell you what they think will make you feel happy. I'm coming across a lot of people in London who tell me God's told them they're apostles and that they've come to plant churches and stuff like that and I just think you really I don't, who told you that and you find out it's somebody who's been saved six weeks and goes to their house group has told them they're going to be an apostle and I said do you know actually they did, uh, it's a difference I must go down there I, guess, uh, I just think if you have to tell everyone you're an apostle you're not do you know what I mean it's like if you, if you have to say to someone, I'm good looking, then you're not. You're just trying to, you're trying to brainwash people, aren't you? I've never gone around telling people I'm good looking. I just let them make up their own mind. 
But the prophetic word that's spoken to you, we have to be careful in church life that when somebody prophesies something that, that we, we wait. And if it's wrong, we say, I don't think you're right. Never mind, we'll try and get better next time. And forgive me, if you're a prophetic person and you don't like the sound of that, then you shouldn't prophesy anywhere until you do like the sound of that. Because I prophesy a lot. And I've got to tell you, prophetic people should be the most accountable people in the church. Because we, 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 we are purporting to hear from God. So we have to be careful with that. But there's the power of the prophetic word. Has God spoken to you? Because the difference with, between what God says and we say is that when God says something, he does something. Let me give you an example, which is a painful one from my past. Because Mandy, who some of you know my wife, she's a great Derby County supporter, man of lady of faith. And... Um, and she loves football, because that's one of the things. If you're, if you're not married, if you're looking for a wife, make sure they like football. You have to ask them these questions. When I met Mandy, I found out she liked football. She spoke Russian, so did I. And she likes anchovies and pizza. Uh, so I married her, because where are you going to find a woman like that? <laughs> likes anchovies and sort of seeks Russian and sort of likes football. So there's one, there's one evening, we're sitting in our house, it's half past ten at night, you know, the football's coming on, it's getting on for quarter to ten, I'm sitting, Mandy brings a cup of coffee, and I'm sitting there, I'm one of these lazy boys, which apparently was named after my brother, and um, I, I'm sitting lying there, I'm thinking, just, uh, we watch the football, and, and Mandy's Derby County support, I support Liverpool, and we watch the football, it's great, we won, it's great, I'm, I'm in really good mood, um, and, and Mandy's sort of looking around the room, she said, you know, this room could do a bit of decorating. And at quarter to 11 at night, you know it's not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? I say, yeah, you're right. Yeah, could do with a bit of decorating. I just thought, you know, I'm totally off my guard. All I said was, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, you're right. Next Saturday, half past seven in the morning, Saturday, half past seven in the morning, Mandy comes up with a cup of coffee. I thought, is it my birthday? <laughs> I thought, is it her birthday? It's not our wedding anniversary, is it? And she said, I bring you a cup of coffee because, because you've got a busy day. I said, I haven't. She says, yes, you have. I says, why? What? She says, you're decorating the, the lounge. I said, no, I'm not. She says, yes. And then suddenly it comes flooding back into your mind. You know, like it happened to somebody else. Do you know what I mean? It's, it was my life. I was there. But somehow, somehow it wasn't me. And I, I can remember thinking, I did say something like that. She said, you said that you would decorate this room. I said, yeah, but I didn't mean it. I mean, I was just, I was just, I was, I was caught. Man, it didn't count. If you, if you ask somebody who's watching football to do something, I'm sure there's something in the law that says you can't hold them to it. <laughs> but I did mean it at the time. And so when, you, when we say something, we have to not just mean it at the time, we have to remember to do it, and we have to still want to do it when the time comes. When God says something, it says in Genesis, God said, let there be light and there was light. So God doesn't sort of say something and say, let it be light, I'll do that tomorrow. He says, his words are his actions. If God has said to you, let there be, then he has already done it. You may not have encountered it in time yet, but he's already done it. It's already happened. That's why if we prophesy and say, God says this is going to happen, then, then it, if it is God, it is going to happen. If God, is, God has spoken over this church, and I believe this significant words of, of, of influence over this church that God wants to do, that he says they will, they will happen. You will enter into them in time. You will enter into the prophetic words that God has given to you as an individual, as a family, and as a people. So, are you ready to take a town for God? Are you ready to be those prophetic intercessors who are saying, yes, God, I'm going to keep asking you until it happens. I'm never, ever going to give up. I don't have to, you don't have to spend the whole of your life in prayer. You just have to pray for the rest of your life. And there's a difference. And so I, I, I seldom pray for hours, seldom pray for hours, but I never go hours without praying. See the difference? I just live a life of prayer. I talk to God all the time. But I don't spend 20 hours a week on my knees. I just don't have that. I just, that doesn't fit my schedule. But I never go an hour without praying. Never, never. So I don't pray for hours, but I never go hours without praying. And that's an intercessor, just the same as anybody else. I believe that God's saying, where's the power of the concerted praise? That when we sing these songs, we are filling the heavens with something but of, of his presence. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. And when we begin to fill the house with his praises, and he goes out into the, into the streets, we're changing what is happening round about here. 
And I want to be one of those committed warriors to say, God, whatever is your whim is my command. Any little thing you let me do, I don't care. If an angel comes and tells me to do something, I'll do it. If a little whispered voice comes into my heart, I'll do it. Because I know every word you've spoken over me is going to come true. Amen. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. Thank you for your patience. I've not even looked at my watch. Oh, we could go another hour. That would be great. Father God, I'd like you just to, if, if, if standing up is difficult for you, please, please don't, please feel free to stay seated. Begin the place where we're ready to receive and to give to the Lord and just say, oh God, we want to see our town taken for you. I pray for a release of the ministry of intercession in this church and in this town, amongst every church that honors the name of Jesus. I pray that you would call forth an army of intercessors, that we might be a church full of people who might not pray for hours, but never go hours without praying, who just come and say, God, I want to tell you, I want to see revival in my town. I want to see Long Eaton known as a place that's famous for Jesus. I pray for revival in this town, God. I pray for Nottinghamshire. God, when was the last time we saw a major revival here? Let Nottingham be known, Nottinghamshire, known as a place where the name of Jesus is honored. Lord, wouldn't it be wonderful if Long Ethan became known as the most Christian town in England? Wouldn't that be a glorious, wonderful thing? And we pray that mercy triumph over judgment. We know that so much has gone wrong. There's so many bad things that have happened and that we have been done some by Christians. But I thank you that mercy triumphs over judgment. And I pray not for judgment, but I pray for more mercy on this town. That you come in great mercy. I pray, the Lord, that you might just release your church from the guilt of the past and to faith for the future. That praise might begin to rise amongst your people. That there might be, like Jericho, a shout of praise. That thing which we didn't even know was burning inside our spirit. We come out like a fire and shout praise to the mighty God as we realize you have set us free as we rock around it looks like we've been walking around our life just walking around in circles going nowhere and suddenly we realize my life is in the hands of the almighty God I am going somewhere I am about I'm not just walking around in circles I'm possessing the land that God has given to me and there'll be a shout of praise go up in, in, in the house of God let Father I pray release your anointing in this house now in Jesus' name, come, Lord. Come, Lord. Let the prophetic word be stood up again. Let it be, let it be faithful and true. Let it be strong. Let, it be, let, let, let the faithful warriors come out with prophetic songs. Let there be the word of the Lord that is, is judged and be judged to be right, that the name of Jesus might be glorified, I pray. Amen. And amen. I just wonder if our, if our worship guys, if you could worship team, come back. We're just going to sing, I believe in God the Father. And we just, just declare that as um, we've been led by David tonight. And uh, as a statement of faith and belief and declaration over our lives, over your life, and over this place uh, right now. And respond in that to our heart, with, uh, with our hearts as well. So we can be stirred in our minds, can't we? Be informed and released in our hearts. And when the two come together, they bring about transformation. That's the truth that sets us free. So as David has shared with us tonight, sometimes in the emotion of things, we think, oh, I'm going to do that. Oh, that's just so good. That's a great idea. Or, But it's what we believe. It's what I believe. And a man came to Jesus and said, I believe. Jesus said, just believe. And he said, I believe. And then he began to sink a little bit and thought, well, help me in my unbelief. I don't know about you, but I have lots of desires and I'm going to do this as a Christian and and then I beat myself up when, I'm, when I don't do it. And 
So we have a great God. When we say I believe, he also helps us in my unbelief. Isn't that great? Isn't that good? And as we've been challenged, David's challenged us, inspired us, stirred us. Let's not just walk away thinking, oh, that was good. It is good. And it is good to say it's good. But transform me, Lord. So what I know in my head, and I've been informed now, and what is touching my heart now, the two together bring about transformation in me. I don't know what that means to you. I don't know how you're going to respond to that. I can't tell you how to respond, but the Holy Spirit will lead you. And I believe the truth sets us free. And it's the Holy Spirit that will lead us into something. Let's choose to believe and trust God, trust Him with our lives, trust Him afresh, trust Him with our families, trust Him with my life. I know in my heart I'd like to say, church, we should be doing this. I've got some things I'd love to say to you right now. I think our church should do X, Y, and Z, but I'm not going to do it because I believe the Holy Spirit will charge your heart if you really open up your heart to Him. Let's just trust God. Let's trust him with all our hearts. Let's trust him with all our lives. And let the word that David has shared tonight bring about some change in me, change in you, change in our area, change in our town, change in the spiritual atmosphere, change in my heart. Let's choose to believe. Our Father everlasting, be your creator.